you know, cycling all of a sudden was more than just something that I went to do every day. It was actually benefiting other people. I got a lot of self-satisfaction and I got a new purpose in life. I think whenever you would refer to the fact that I'm 58 years old and I'm still racing, I think that that's true testament to the fact that at 50 years old, you know, who actually does determine that, that, that your life is over? Because I don't believe that anymore. And thank you for listening to the Hard as Nails podcast brought to you by Outsider.ie, Islands Adventure Magazine. This is the 11th episode and it's proudly sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin, who have been Islands go-to shop for adventurers and outdoor enthusiasts looking for great gear, apparel and uh, expert tips since they opened their doors in 1976. No matter how big or small the adventure might be, Great Outdoors always strive to give you the best advice to help you achieve your goals, reach your final destination and make it an experience to treasure. Once you're done listening to this podcast, go visit their website, www.greatoutdoors.ie. Our guest for this episode is a legendary Irish endurance cyclist with countless records and accolades to his name. Despite being 58 years old and having retired from professional cycling, he has kept on going. At the end of last year, he set a new record for riding up and down Ireland non-stop and is now gearing up towards the ultra-cycling event Race Around Ireland, which is coming up on the 26th of August 2018. It's none other than Joe Barr. Joe, it's an incredible honor to have you join us on the Hard as Nails podcast. Thank you for freeing up uh, some of your time to chat and share some of the stories from your incredible cycling career thank you very much for having me this morning fantastic well joe you have been cycling for (laughs) probably longer than i've been alive so that's quite a few (laughs) years what do you enjoy most about cycling and and how did you get into it in the first place oh as you've just said it's quite a long story i (laughs) i started actually to ride my bike when i was four years old um and you know i my my family obviously seen that i had a a talent for it because I, all my commuting was done on a bicycle while others traveled in cars and buses, etc. Uh, uh, in 1972, I entered my first race and I've raced every season since. I've only ever missed one season through to injury uh, in that period. Um, and I think that my inspiration for it, uh, I rode my bike to commute, as I said, mm-hmm. uh, but Ireland's a small island and I used to commute, commute be- between my home and my grandmother's house and uh, I used to do it after school on a Friday. And each Friday I used to, every Friday I used to see a group of riders, three or four riders who were out training. Mm-hmm. So I used to tag on behind on my little uh, child's bike. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I kept, uh, I was able to keep up with them uh, for quite a long period of time. Like So with that progressed and uh, eventually one of the riders actually came to my mum and asked if he could introduce me into riding seriously like or riding in a club mm. which I did do and my career has become a little bit of history since that point <laughs> yeah definitely well endurance yeah. cycling though Joe it only came along a bit later in your life 2009 to be exact that's when you decided to do the the grueling race around Ireland and you surprised many possibly even yourself when you won it what was that moment like for you one of the things that's good to share with people is is firstly how I actually come to be at the start of race around Ireland mm. Uh, because many people would think, you know, it's because I had finished a professional career and I got bored or there was multiple possibilities as to why I went back. N- none of those are actually the truth. The truth is I went to the race around Arling 
as a as a fundraising event for a children's cancer charity because uh, my son had been diagnosed with cancer at five months old. Wow. So I got involved. I was involved in that world of looking after my son. Mm. I got introduced to what that world was actually doing to help people in general, um, and I decided that rather than have my gift of athleticism be in the cupboard that I would knock the mothballs out and I would put it to good use and try and raise some funds. So I actually went to the race around. It was ironic. The race around Ireland just came at that time because it had never been in the country before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a big enough event for me to be able to go over multiple days to, to fundraise. Ironically, the story of the race became history then because I was up against the world champion mm-hmm. and as the race turned out, I beat the world champion. And uh, so, you know, I think to say that I went to the race around Ireland with some form of a plan Mm -hmm. would be exaggerated because it was really about survival. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and uh, but from that point, uh, you know, from winning race around Ireland in 2009, it's 10 years on now. Mm. I mean, it has completely transformed my life and it's endurance racing has transformed everything that I've been doing. Mm. You know, I've raced all around the world. I've won multiple world championship races, mm-hmm. and last year I was world champion. So I, you know, for a, from a from a very uh, personal point of view, um, it it regenerated my life. Really? Wow. It's an incredible story of how you got into endurance cycling. But how was that transition for you, Joe, going from being a professional cyclist, saying that you're retired, and then getting back into the sport, but approaching it from a whole different perspective? Well, I think that that's the part that changed my life, actually. Um, I, I then got to understand more about myself, more about other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also got to understand that, you know, cycling all of a sudden was more than just an something that I went to do every day. Um, I was I, it was actually benefiting other people, and I got a, I got a lot of self satisfaction, and I and I got a new purpose in life. So I think whenever you would refer to the fact that I'm 58 years old and I'm still racing, mm. I think that that's true testament to the fact that you know at 50 years old, you know who actually does determine that that, that your life is over? Mm. Um, because I don't believe that mm. anymore. Um, every day I go to the start line of every race and next week when we go back to the race around Ireland in 10 years time I'm as excited now as I was the very first day mm-hmm. uh, because that I, I know that's going to be a completely new story it's going to open a new chapter again in my life I'm going to meet I don't know how many new people mm-hmm. and I don't know where the next step is going to be and it's that excitement that comes with it that uh, that gives me the enjoyment now that I didn't realise as a professional because it, it just became a mundane job that I did every day. It's no different to anyone mm. going to their normal job. Mm. Um, and, and the fun that w- wasn't there for me in the end, like whereas now this is this is fun and, mm. and we're also helping other people as we have fun. So it's it's uh, it's just an incredible uh, time in my life, really. Mm. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. And since 2009, there's been no looking back for you, Joe. I mean, in, in terms of your endurance journey, it's been absolutely remarkable. I and mean, you've raced across Italy uh, three times, if I'm not mistaken. You've raced across America. Yeah. And you've competed in a number of other extremely challenging races, which includes being a multiple winner of World Cup endurance races. What stands out the most for you, though? Is it the moments that you win, or is it when you do not finish a race? Because you have experienced both the highs and the lows in Italy and America, uh, particularly. When we talk about when we talk about your podcast of, of you know hardest nails, mm-hmm. I think that you know one of the things that gets I think is misunderstood a little bit is that 
everyone fast forward to the end of every big race and they go, this guy has won again. Mm-hmm. He's a tough guy. So they equate the finish of, of a big event to toughness. I view it slightly different. I, I sort of look at it from the point of view that I can either be the hammer or the nail. Mm-hmm. And some days I'm the hammer, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but most days I'm the nail because rather than being, I, I don't view myself as tough. I view myself as being resilient. And uh, for me, the success that has won some of these races is a, is a, it's a blend of mental and emotional and physical resilience mm-hmm. because that gives me multiple options in, in the race with the team that I'm there with. You know, it, it allows me to be flexible. I have to be able to adapt. Um, I also have to be able to ask for help. That's the pieces that go in, in between the start and the finish where everyone goes, this guy's tough. Mm, I enjoy that metaphor when you say uh, on any given day, any given race, uh, you can either be the hammer or the nail. Now, when you are the nail, how do you deal with those moments? Do you use them as motivation on a psychological level at all? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, the, the whole process is, is mental and emotional. Mm-hmm. I, I know what we're actually doing is physical. It's riding, it's riding a, a bicycle, like, and it's pre- pretty aggressive because of the hours that you have to keep it moving forward. But that is the objective. You've got to remember the objective of the race is to dismantle me. Mm-hmm. That's what an endurance race is. That's its job. Its job is to take me to pieces. And my job is to resist that. Um, so to do that, I have to have... I can't have this macho thing where I, uh, I you know, I just uh, overcome it. I just believe my way through it. It's, it, it that will not work, mm. so it won't. Um, for, for me, I've got to have the resilience piece uh, right from the very beginning, which I have, I've come to understand. I also have come to understand that I have to suspend my own disbelief at times. Sometimes when it gets so difficult, you actually start thinking to yourself, maybe I can't do this. Mm. Um, so it's, it's having a capability when those moments arrive to be able to suspend that disbelief and just not believe anything, mm-hmm. just take that pressure away, but keep moving forward. And that's where the flex, the adapting and the flexibility comes into place. Mm. Uh, so all, all of those things uh, I have come to be able to apply within a race. Then at the finish, it sometimes gets viewed as I'm tough as nails. <laughs> so it's... Uh, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm not uh, because I have I have a fantastic team, and one of the reasons for our success as a team is that when we go to each start line, we go there as one. We don't go there as eight or ten different people. Mm. Um, and their their objective is the same as my objective, and mine's the same as theirs. So they ask me for my help when they need me to do something, and I ask them for their help when when I need something. Mm. So. Uh, and it works very, very well. Yeah, incredible. Well, Joe, in your opinion, though, how does one know that they have what it takes to be an endurance cyclist or, or an athlete? Is, is is it a case of you won't know until you give it a try? Well, I think that, that you know, it's one of the reasons why I have, uh, have so much respect for, if you want to call it the journeyman or, or the people who try, the people the people who, who want to do something like an endurance race. Mm-hmm. And the difference between the people who want to do it, who make their way to the start line, regardless of what the outcome of that is, to me will always win over the people who want to do it but never actually manage to get the courage to go there and try. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a trying for me. I mean, I know how difficult it is to get our team to any given world event. I know how difficult it is. There's times where 
we're just about getting there because you know it's, it's a it's expensive b it's it's a big logistical move of people and you're trying to put many many things in place so when i i look at um, you know like a a guy who wants to try this and he's in like a, a smaller level of a race or a, a you know not as high a profile of a race mm-hmm. but the effort for him or her to get to that start line is exactly the same as it is for me mm-hmm. so i have a great respect and appreciation when I see people trying to do that, and it's one of the reasons within the team that we've set up what we call the endurance workshop so that we can actually go along and teach people all the knowledge that we've got to help them to get to their start line. Mm. Well, Joe, let's chat now about your amazing record-setting challenge of cycling uh, from the northerly tip of Ireland to the most southern point and then all the way back again. Absolutely insane. I mean, the first time you did it was in 2015 and then you did it all over again in November of uh, 2017 to to set that new record. First of all, why did you feel compelled to take on this challenge again? The first time that we did it in 2015, um, it was a very purposeful uh, race for us because i just come back from Race Across America in 2014, as you as you said, and uh, was very successful there. You know, I finished second in the category and I finished tenth overall. And uh, but one of the things I realised on the way back from Race Across America was if I wanted to try and position myself in the top echelons of the sport in the world, I had to actually uh, stay on my bike for longer periods of time without actually, you know, stopping. Mm-hmm. For, for any reason uh, and that become very evident uh, in Race Cross America and believe it or not back in 2009 when I was on the start line of the very first race around Ireland Fabio Piosalo at that time who was the world champion was interviewed on the start line and he made a comment that always resonated with me but I never fully understood it and that was that he wasn't get us off, getting off his bike for 50 hours mm-hmm. Now, I, I remember being in a little bit of shock when I heard it because I was stood behind him when he said it. Uh, but it took me until 2014 to actually fully understand what he meant by that. And I set off in 2015 with one objective, and that was to try and conquer 50 hours with absolutely no stop, no sleep, no stop, mm. to see, could you know, was it possible for me to be in the top end of the world? Uh, and what we did was, again... Uh, we, we decided to make that process as simple as we could and as cost-effective as we could. So we took on to do the record from Malmhead to Mizzenhead and back, which is the most northerly and the most southerly point in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we managed it. We'd done 49 hours uh, in 2015, wow. uh, just about 49 and a half. Mm-hmm. However, what happened in 2017 then was the way the World Championship, we had been contesting the World 500-mile championship all year. Mm-hmm. So we'd been to Italy and we'd been to Reno, Nevada, and we'd had great successes there. And when we came back, we were positioned in the place that I was second and line second overall in the World Championship. Mm-hmm. And there was just enough time by a number of days either side because there's quite a, uh, a hefty piece of administration that needs to go with mm-hmm. a world record uh, with the world body. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's almost a 28-day period prior and there's a 14-day period after mm-hmm. uh, to allow paperwork to pass through before the championship actually closed. And because Race Around Ireland was over 500 miles, we were able to include it in the world championship. So we knew that if we went in November, which was completely the most ideal time ever mm-hmm. to go for a record <laughs> in Ireland, uh, that if we could break that record, that we would walk away from their world champions. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Uh, and that's how it came about. That's how we ended up going to the to the end. Uh, mm-hmm. However, anyone who knows Ireland uh, from a weather point of view, the weather's never really that kind at any time in Ireland. <laughs> this year's a bit of an exception, but mm-hmm. um, the wind always blows in a southwesterly direction in Ireland. For us, that meant a complete headwind all the way down for the 370 miles down. And we hoped that when we turned around at the bottom that we would get an assistance with the southwesterly on the way back up again. Mm. Um, it was extremely cold weather and it was very, very wet all the way. So the wet and the cold combined makes it a very difficult task, especially in the nighttime. Uh, it becomes extremely cold. So even holding the, the bike but with your hands becomes a problem. And... Uh, but when we got to the bottom, anyhow, the long story short of that is that the southwesterly never appeared. <laughs> <laughs> the wind changed in Ireland, and I had a headwind down and a headwind back. Sure, wow. <laughs> and uh, and you know that's that actually brought that's the greatest example in the last ten years uh, of the point that I made earlier there of suspending your disbelief. Mm. Um, there was a point that I thought that it was not possible for me to overcome the weather. Um, and the clock, because the clock was ticking and the weather was a resistance. And uh, and there were, I had a moment in it where, you know, and it's a rare moment that I would say that I can't do this. Uh, I mean, I can only ever recall it once before. And, um, but again, it's an example. I did suspend my disbelief and that was all down to the team uh, because I did ask them for help. And uh they talked me through that section and, and we got going and we broke the record by 23 minutes. Mm. But it went right to the last, in the last 15 miles of that record. Mm. Um, it's very extreme coastal finish. Uh, it's very rugged and very open. So you have, you have keel force winds blowing in off the Atlantic Sea, mm. uh, the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, when you get to Malhead, the next stop's New York. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's uh, it's an extreme place, and uh, we had a fight for every second uh, to the finish. <laughs> Amazing. Now, setting the record was obviously the goal, but what sort of training is required in order to make sure that you achieve that? Training is, 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 is probably the biggest consumption of time, mm-hmm. um, other than the races itself. Um, I mean, I'm training, I train pretty much five, six days a week, um, I I train two sessions in the morning, early and in the evening, and uh, I do uh, different types of training. I do distance training and I do intense training. A lot of the intense training is done inside, on indoors, on on a virtual trainer, and uh, and then the distance. And then usually what we do is we try to get the team together on weekends, and that's whenever we do the the really big long rides, and we use you know, service car for assistance for food and stuff like that to allow us to be able to push through, you know, into the the night section so that we can actually get the training done in the night time. And, uh, we can do all day on a Saturday, all day on a Sunday, and we can, can connect both with riding straight through the night. So mm-hmm. it works very well. We found a formula that works for me and it works for the team. And uh, I feel now that I've got up to the speed of the world guys. Um, and that's, you know, we go to every start line and I, I go there with one objective. I, I go to try to be the best that I can and I go to try and be on the podium. Mm. And then everything that comes from that, I you know, comes. And, you know, we've had disappointments too where we've had DNS and, mm. uh, you know, I've, I was leading in Italy 
a number of years ago, and I had only like 150 kilometers left to go, and I had a I had a stall. I had to get off because I got the nutrition wrong, mm-hmm. and I also got sick, as you know. Uh, I got altitude sickness and race across America, and also lost my life in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's been downtimes as well. So, but you, you learn from all those experiences. Uh, my success in 2014 in race across America came from the the, the failure, if you want to call it, that mm-hmm. uh, in 2012. Uh, I personally don't think it was a failure. It was a great learning curve for me, and mm-hmm. I, it taught me a lot about how to race the first one third of race across America, mm-hmm. which is, to me is it is the toughest start line that there is on this planet. Without a doubt. So yeah, it's an extremely difficult race. Like it's a, it, and not alone is it the three thousand twenty miles that it is in distance. It's what actually the content of what's actually in that three thousand miles is for you know the way the race is constructed mm-hmm. with desert and altitude and heat and flat plains with huge volumes of crosswind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's just it, it's if you could create a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. for an endurance race they create it every year <laughs> <laughs> well the record Joe that you set for your, your race across uh, Ireland it, it played a significant part in you being crowned the overall world champion in the 500 mile category by the World yes. Ultra Cycling Association at the end of 2017 what does yes. this achievement mean for you does it give you some sort of uh, validation for your endurance cycling career absolutely at the end of the day I think uh, I would be. I wouldn't be honest if I was saying that I, I wasn't very, very, very proud. I was very proud uh, for my family and myself, uh, for sure. But I was also very, very proud for the team and for the country. Uh, at the end of the day, Ireland's a small island, um, and you know, we're, we're, there's a number of riders who are trying to make their way on the world stage. So, I think what it did do was it, it opened up the possibility. It let it let everyone else see that it's possible mm. to do this. Um, because when we came back from Reno and Nevada, it would have been quite easy for me to say, well, that's fantastic. I finished second in the World Championship and I'm off from a winter break now. Mm-hmm. But we didn't do that. We we stepped up to, in my in my opinion, it was one of the biggest uh, challenges for me to actually step up to myself because I already knew before I started that the, the weather... Uh, and the conditions were going to be very, very much against us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, we're back to, I don't have any issues around failing. I, I want to start and I want to try. Uh, so, and if something goes wrong, then I've done the best I can. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the opportunity and I thought to myself, I, I don't want to be in five years thinking back to say, if I had just pushed on to the next race, would I have been world champion? Could I have been world champion? Mm. The reality is, I just wanted to try, and if if it if it beat me, that was okay. Mm. But it, I I still wanted to go to the start line. So, mm. it it I think for me, what it has done now after so many years riding the bike, um, just to be able to acknowledge to myself that all the work and all the effort that I put into this uh, into my career and my life has brought me to the pinnacle of the sport, for sure. Mm. But now I want to try and use that in other ways uh, because I can clearly see now that there's opportunity for me to, to help the next generation come along and, and anywhere else because we've also discovered that we're, we have a big impact on people's lives 
in general uh, because their lives are endurance and how they cross over from what we do into people's normal lives I've, I've come to realise is such a parallel uh, um, and it intrigues me and that's an area that I'm also personally very focused on at the moment. Mm. Well, it is such an incredible achievement, uh, Joe. And I'm interested to know now, when you look back at all the major endurance challenges that you have taken on in your life, which has been the most difficult for you to overcome, the physical or the mental battles? The mental battle. Uh, mm-hmm. But I also think that, you know, that there's also a big difference. Um, unfortunately, whenever my son got sick, uh, to me... What happens in that situation with a child that's sick or indeed an adult that becomes sick? Um, I, view the, I view that situation as, as total endurance because it doesn't matter about the weather or the things in life that's happening. Each day they have to stick with that. They're, they can't put it down regardless. It's different for me in an endurance race. If it goes wrong or something happens, I can get in the service car. There's no one making me stay out there. So... I think that when you ask me what is the most difficult endurance race that I or endurance that I have endured, let it be race or whatever, it was. I think it was when my son was got sick. Uh, it was the mental application that I had to apply to that that actually changed my own life because it opened up avenues of question in my mind that I I never had experienced before. So it would give me a completely different perspective on life, uh, and I. I have values on life now that I didn't even recognize existed then. And that's, I think that that has been, even to this day, has been the biggest challenge for me. Wow. I wasn't expecting that answer, Joe. Let's uh, move on now to the race around Ireland. It's uh, literally just around the corner. This is somewhat of a, a homecoming for you, a, a long overdue reunion after winning the race 10 years ago. How have preparations gone, both physically and mentally, for the second toughest race in the endurance cycling world? It's been very good. Uh, first of all, we have been blessed in Ireland this year with a year of weather that I think someone misplaced. <laughs> we've, had, <laughs> we've had fantastic sunshine and heat uh, mm-hmm. and it has allowed me uh, to be able to actually I travel on most of the course actually uh, over the last number of months because again um, I it's very easy to sit and think to yourself well you know I won race around Ireland 2009 I know what that race is mm-hmm. the reality is I'm, I'm 10 years down the line and race around Ireland is a different race now mm-hmm. it's not the race that I won um the race itself, from an organisational point of view, has moved on incredibly. Mm. The guys who, who, who organise and run the race has made it a fantastic event. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. The course itself has changed. And, and endurance races, you, it's very, very important that uh, if you want to try to be the best that you can, that you eliminate all the places that you can make mistakes. And one of them is usually around navigation and on the course. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm always very mindful of doing as much homework as I can on the courses to understand exactly what that race is going to try to do to me because, as I said to you before, the job of the race is to dismantle me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I want to try and understand how I can, uh, how I can uh, fight my way through that. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've had to do that. The preparation has been good. Uh, you know, I've, I've rode a lot of mileage this year. Um, and having a break from... Uh, the NTNTN in November mm-hmm. um, has been fantastic for my body. Um, you know, my body has completely rejuvenated. It, 
last year was a tough race, if you want to use the word tough, on the body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the body took a lot of big races, impacts of big races, so, you know, that were consistent. So there wasn't a lot of time between them to recover. Mm-hmm. So I've recovered now, and I feel good about Race Around Ireland. And every year when Race Around Ireland uh, was on, um, it passes one and a half miles from my home. Mm-hmm. So every year I go out in the nighttime and see all the world guys that I race with normally go by. And having won it and just wanting to do other things, the, the calendar never really fit it mm-hmm. for us to be able to go back to race on Ireland, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Every year we were going to a different race and it just the, the months and the year just didn't fit in. But this year, for some reason or other, with a time out, I, it just fit it. And it just felt the right. It just felt right. And I met the organizer uh, at another event um, last year and he made me aware that, you know, do you realize this is the 10th anniversary since you've won this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started to really think about that. And uh, so I'm very excited to go back to race around Arm for sure. You know, it's my home race. It's it's where I started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, my my career that I look back on in the last 10 years is because of it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And yeah. I feel I'm in good shape and uh, I feel I'll make a good race. Um, you know, we, there's a lot of really good competitors there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll go there the same as normal and try and be the best I can be. Yeah. Well, as you said, the course, it has changed uh, quite considerably from uh, when you won it in 2009. But will you be able to draw on the experience uh, of winning the race 10 years ago to give you some sort of uh, psychological advantage? Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, the progress that I've had over the last 10 years in what I'm doing and the way, the mythology and how I do it, and, you know, I've now, I can go longer distances for sure. And uh, there's a lot of those things that I can now put into play in Race Around Ireland uh, that I couldn't in 2009 because, I mean, I, in 2009, I was a complete rookie. Mm-hmm. Could I race a bike? Yes, for sure, I could do that. But actually, that's only one part of of, of, of getting around a race like this like and uh, but now I, I've done my apprenticeship I feel and, and so has the team and I think that now you know we're not going there not really understanding what we're doing we're, we're going there fully understanding what we're doing and uh, and I think that, that that will make a good race uh, I think we can make a good race and I think that you know it's our home race so we know a lot about Ireland for sure growing up here like so you know, I know the terrain and I know the weather and I know how it can all change. And, you know, Ireland to me is the race as a race of opportunity, mm. but you can only avail of the opportunity unless you're there. Mm. And uh, and that's, to me, that's that's the way it'd be. I, I, I go to the race around Ireland thinking to myself that this is as tough as race across America because for a very different reason it almost is. Mm. Um, it may not be the distance of race across America, but the train is a lot more distant. It's it's a lot more consistently difficult than than race across America is. Mm. Um, but it, it's uh, it's going to be. I think when I look at the start list uh, and I look at the course, I think. I think that the public are in for a fantastic race to see and watch. So with that said, how do you weigh up the risks then that are attached with such a demanding challenge like the race around Ireland and the sort of impact it could have on your body? Well, you know, we always manage that, you know, I have a rule within myself that I never push beyond the limits. Um, there's a, there is a limit that you can push to um, and it's, it's not intelligent to push beyond that and, and we never do. Uh, the biggest hurdle in a race like race around Ireland is actually uh, for the rider is, is sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the the crew uh, ex- they do experience it as well. But because of the way that we run the crew in a shift pattern, uh, the crew get to go to sleep and go to bed, and mm. uh, so we always have a fresh crew, and, and so that it's not now in the situation we have now, unlike two thousand and nine where the crew were completely exhausted. Um, we, we don't have that situation, but it still exists for me as a rider because obviously i got to keep riding. Mm. Uh, but but the crew have become very experienced in identifying it, uh, been able to talk to me about it. I'm more experienced in being able to identify it. I actually ha- I know exactly when it's coming. I know how it appears. I know how it be- behaves. Mm. And I know how to behave back with it now. Mm. So I have this relationship with it. <laughs> And that's where we're back to when we were talking earlier when I said to you that I adapt and I be flexible and I'm more interested in being resilient. And that's the area that that belong, really belongs to, is being able to be flexible around sleep deprivation because ultimately, again, the race is trying to dismantle me mm. and my objective is I want to keep moving forward. Mm. So it's a bit like life, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, and that's exactly the parallel line that I'm talking about yeah. when I talk about normal people being able to relate to this. It's mm. not so much racing the bike that they relate to. They relate to what I'm doing because that's their life. Mm. That's life. Yeah. And that's uh, and that's what we that's what we're trying to do. Uh, we're, we're trying to we're trying to be flexible and adapt and move, keep ourselves moving forward through. And that's the bit when you're up against all the good guys in the world. Mm-hmm. They're they're all capable of doing that. So actually, the race becomes about who is better at doing that than the other. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's how we that's how we we work our way to the end. Because there is one thing that that every rider who is going to the start line, mm. uh, who is intending to be on the podium, will tell you there there's going to come a point in this race, probably a day and a half from the finish, mm. whereby everyone will be in trouble. Mm, it, yeah. it won't make any difference what level you are you will be in trouble yeah. so you know it's that fight the fight is from there to the finish mm. and Joe do you have a different mindset when you are racing against yourself and the clock like in your world record cycle across Ireland as opposed to when you are competing against other cyclists like in the race around Ireland absolutely that's a great question absolutely it's very very different and I think that you know when I spoke about when we did the record uh, I had that moment where I started to disbelieve that I could do it. Mm-hmm. I think that the difference is we we as human beings know that we can't overcome uh, we can't overcome um, weather and the clock. We can't. It, it's always going to win. However, whenever we race against other guys, they're like me. They're vulnerable, mm-hmm. and things happen. And that makes that type of a race uh, different for that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean to say that uh, you know it doesn't help, it doesn't bring other aspects. Racing against the clock and weather is very different to racing against uh, other people. So then, would you say there's less pressure than when you're racing against others as opposed to racing against the clock to try break a record? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Breaking the record and against the clock is very intense mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't you can't actually forfeit one second. Um, because every time you do that, there's it, you lose momentum, and when you lose the momentum, not alone are you losing the time, but you're actually losing the time to get back to where you were. So, and that's just a repetitive process. Mm. Uh, and if you, one of the things that happened with us 
in, in that particular race that we're talking about, that particular record that we're talking about is whenever the wind starts to overcome you and and you can see that the average speed is dropping down so much, it's very difficult to actually drag yourself in the same wind resistance back up to the average speed that you need to be traveling at because the clock is telling you so. It's not like, you know, it's not like your team is telling you or you know, the clock is telling you mm. I'm winning. Wow, very interesting. And, and, yeah. it, and it continually keeps telling you it's winning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas with people, you know, things can happen to them. They yeah. they have to endure the same situation and the same uh, environment that you have. So therefore, it's, it's the same set of possibilities for them as it is for you. Mm. Well, Joe, after the race around Ireland, you, you can start focusing more of your time on your upcoming events in April next year, which are the uh, the Team Joe Bar 200 and the Joe Bar 500. Could you share yes, with us yes. uh, just a bit more about the idea behind these two races? Well, whenever we uh, whenever we won the World Championship, um, we decided that, you know, that, that there was another opportunity here. I... I was very fortunate to be talking to uh, some of the board members of the World Body, and uh, I, I just we we just asked um, would they be interested if we were to promote some races in Ireland here. And the concept that it came from was we as a team know how difficult it is to actually finance a team to go to race around the world, mm-hmm. um, and. One of the big obstacles for a lot of beginners is, is just the sheer cost that that goes with trying to put a team together, getting a team first of all, putting a team together, having enough equipment to be able to go and actually get yourself through what you're going through. So one of the things that Donson tends to put a lot of potential people off is that. So our concept was, can we make a cost-effective uh, uh, event mm-hmm. that allows people to try this? Yeah. Uh, and, and we set it up in such a way that it doesn't require a lot of resources, a lot of people, um, and we can introduce it in two levels, uh, which we did do, which was a beginner's level, which is people who currently maybe ride their bike and are doing, let's call it sport eats or grand fondos, uh, maybe up around 100 miles, 120 miles, but have never really gone beyond 150. Mm. So they don't really know what that is. Uh, so that's a challenge for them. Uh, so we decided we would have a 200-mile race to address that. And in recognition of the 500 uh, World Championship, that we would also run, uh, parallel to that, a 500-mile race um, with the objective of trying to get the world riders to come to Ireland. Mm. Um, and we then set about trying to again compress that to have both events running on the same course. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that, like, was to allow, you know, the competitors to have the feeling of people on course with them, so that they get the experience as we just talked about racing against people, where they can see them and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So we designed we designed the two courses, uh, we got them approved, um, and we launched the two races. Now we didn't have very much time because we literally put them together in December, January, mm-hmm. and they, they were run in April. But that was really to fit with the world mm-hmm. calendar. Uh, this year it's been different because we've had an opportunity now to, you know, to uh, do some work on them and, and make improve them and make them a little bit better. And we've also started to advertise the race a little, the races a little bit better as well. Um, this year we've actually managed to get the 500 race uh, accredited as a as a European Championship round as well for the 500 mile championship wow. for the World Championship. So uh, we're hopeful that that's also going to attract. 
um, some of the potential uh, competitors from around the world to come here because mm-hmm. Ireland has a lot to offer. Um, and uh, and I think it's great that we can bring other countries here to race and allow our people in our own country uh, uh, to be able to to be be part of that. Like Mm -hmm. without having to endure the the cost that that goes and and usually a cost that puts people off from actually starting to try. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been very successful. The 200, the entry level race was hugely successful, Mm -hmm. uh, even in the short period of time that we had. And I have no doubt that it will be the same again this year. Um, the 500, because of the distance involved, like, and just because of it being more elite, uh, you know, we're hoping to try and uh, get the people who have been in the 200. We're looking to try and, you know, convince them to to, to move on to the 500 because mm-hmm. at that point, then they can, you know, they have this. It opens up this whole opportunity to maybe go into a, a global or world race somewhere, even if you only do one, just for the experience of it. Uh, and you know maybe it could be life changing for them, and you never know. Maybe we maybe we'll find another another star in the midst of that. We, mm. we will be on a global stage, you know, for our country. Like it's possible to do that. Yeah. So. Well, we will be looking forward to that uh, coming up in April of 2019. Now, finally, Joe, you are nearing your 60s. How much longer do you think you can keep on going for? And is endurance cycling for the older or younger generation, in your opinion? I, 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 well, you know, when I started back in 2009, I used to view it like um, that there seemed to be a lot of older guys that that was involved in, but no longer is that the case. Mm. That's not the case anymore. Like, uh, the sport has changed in the last five years, it's changed huge. Uh, I mean, this year, or sorry, last year, whenever I went to race across Italy, you know, I seen a young uh, Danish rider, Mads Frank. He he was only a kid and he'd been to, uh, pro continental level mm-hmm. and had decided it wasn't for him and, and he arrived in, in endurance racing and he absolutely loved it. You know you have the you have the best in the world and Christoph Strasser. He's a young man and and no longer I think that uh, for me personally and I've said it in public many times my my only one regret in cycling is that I didn't discover what I'm in now when I was 22 or 23 years old. Mm. Um, that that's that's the one regret that I have um, because th- this aspect of what I'm doing ha- has been such a life-changing aspect for me mm. and so enjoyable um, that if I could convince any young writer starting off to look at this as a possibility, uh, I-, I certainly would. I-, I, think, I think in the next number of years, uh, we're going to see this aspect of this, of this sport uh, be very very prominent across the world. Mm. I mean, it's gathering it's gathering momentum everywhere now because uh, I, I when we travel around, we see the amount of riders that's appearing at the races. We see the way that they're approaching the race. We see the level that they're approaching it at. Mm. Uh, so I personally see a huge increase in all of that. Mm. Uh, and I think over the next number of years, it's, it's going to be one of the key aspects of our sport for sure. I would like to think that another year mm-hmm. uh, after this one um, is possible. Um, I, I would, um, you never know, it's maybe possible that I might go back to Race Cross America, I don't know. Mm. Um, but 
we'll have to wait and see what what, that, what happens with that. But I, I'm definitely going to go to the end of 2019 for sure, uh, and then then we'll see. Then we'll see what happens from there. Well, Joe, you are the living proof that age is just a number, and that being an endurance athlete is more about the willpower and the determination. Thank you for sharing your stories with us on the Hardest Nails podcast, and uh, we wish you all the best for the race around Ireland. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you for having me.